1 John chapter 2, we'll start with verse 18. John says, little children, it is the last hour. Now, I don't know what you guys think whenever you hear the end days, but I'll tell you what I think because I'm up here and I kind of have to when I say I'm going to talk about something. So, it, would, it used to freak me out, you know, through the, the late 80s and 90s, I just remember all of these Christians talking about how the world was coming to an end, and let me tell you, like, as a teenager, it stressed me out. I'm like, why are you guys, why are we watching Left Behind at youth group? Like, can we, can we talk about how great it is, you know, to be alive and like how God's going to take care of us and stuff? Like, why are we talking about like the end of the world and, and always being ready in that stuff? Well, the, the truth of the matter is that, that it is in the Bible. It tells us, the word tells us that we need to be ready, right? But at the same time, I believe, especially now as, as a pastor, that there has to be a balance where there's a joy in the day of today that God gave us, but there's also an expectation of what's to come. And I like the fact that the the wording here in 1 John is different, that he says it's the last hour, because you kind of get a picture of what that looks like. Instead of the end days, hours, you know, they, they go by so quickly. And when we say the last days, it seems like, when is it gonna happen? When is it coming? When is the last day? But when we're talking about hours and he says the last hour, I think it is, is a little bit more descriptive for us. Think of a day of 24 hours and think that you have something coming up. In 24 hours, you're going to go on a trip. You ha- you're going to have an exam. Or you're getting ready to do something big that you've never done before. How does that last 24 hours play out? I'll tell you how it usually plays out for me. I have to start getting ready as soon as possible because I hate feeling all stressed out at the last minute. But no matter how prepared I am, this is just me. I don't know how it is for you guys. No matter how prepared I am or how much time I've spent, when it gets down to the last hour, I'm just like, you know, a little anxious. Oh man, here it's coming. I've done my homework. I did my deeds. I'm ready, but it's coming. Am I ready? (laughs) But we can be prepared for the last hour. And I think as believers, we're called to be prepared. But let's take another example. Let's take a, a more uh, uh, kind of specific to the text example. Let's say that you're having some guests over to your house for dinner. You have 24 hours, so you don't have to start preparing too early. But as the time goes by, again, I don't know about you guys, but this is how I am. That last hour is crunch time. Like, you're clean and you're getting everything ready. I don't know if you guys have seen this comedian. He does this little skit, a little two-minute skit. I wanted to show it to you this morning, but I thought, you know what, uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> it was not bad or anything, but he, he dresses up as, I think it's his mom. And he's running around the house getting ready and it's basically just total mayhem. He's just screaming at the top of his lungs, you know, we need more bird feeders in the windows. Put bird feeders in every window. Put some shells on the doorknobs. Make sure everything's in. He's trying to vacuum and he sucks up a towel and he's just going crazy. And he, he starts looking for his siblings or his, his kids, you know, to help him. And he's just turning around in circles. 
And it really reminds me not just of how I am sometimes in that last hour when a guest is coming, but how even how it was in our house when, when we were growing up. And everything's getting ready. And, and, and then you hear the doorbell ring. And you look at your, no, you look at your watch and it's, they're early. How can they be early? They're not supposed to come early. We didn't plan. This last 15 minutes is crucial, people. But now, you know, we're not, we're not fully ready. Well, I think it's just the feeling, you know, it's the understanding that something's coming that needs to be prepared for. And as Christians, as believers, we need to talk about how ready we are for the return of the Lord. There's some things that are going to become evident to us in the last days, but more specifically, in the last hour. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I look around, man, it seems like it's, it's the last hour. It's getting close. And it doesn't mean that that's all our focus and attention is on. It means that we live in today. We know that God holds tomorrow. And God is going to do all that he intends towards us until that time comes. And it's going to be the perfect timing. The perfect timing. Little children, in the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So one of the first signs of the last hour that we're going to be able to see is this Antichrist. Now the Bible doesn't talk about Antichrist specifically using this word except in this book. 1 John and 2 John. So John's the only one that uses this term, Antichrist. And what this word really means is a substitute for Jesus Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean through the ages this kind of picture of the, the antithesis, the exact opposite, where Jesus was really nice and loving and compassionate and gentle and healing and caring and good, and the Antichrist is going to be mean and evil and bad. Hitler's the Antichrist. No, it doesn't necessarily. In fact, it probably doesn't mean that at all. It's going to be somebody who's portrayed as a savior like Jesus. And he's going to say, I am the one that's going to save you. Nobody else can save you like how I'm going to save you. Does that sound familiar? I keep hearing this word saving and salvation and looking at the world. And from what we understand, we don't know exactly, but what from we understand, the world is going to get to a point where things are really, really bad. And there's going to be this guy that, that, that is thrust into the forefront of our planet. And he says, I can save you. And there's going to be people who invest and put stock in him being the savior of the world instead of Jesus Christ. That's what the Antichrist looks like. And for us as believers, this is what we need to understand, especially in the kind of political climate we're in right now. There's no man that can save us, period. So forget about it. Forget about the arguments and who and if he was running and if she. It doesn't matter. There's nobody that can take the place of Jesus Christ. And this planet is not supposed to be eternal. God is going to take care of business. He's going to start over. And you and I as the bride of Christ are going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. 
Because he's our savior. As much as we want the world to last forever, as much as we want America to be the greatest country for all eternity, it's not. It's not. I'm going to vote for Hillary just to expedite the process. (laughs) I really didn't want to say that, but you know. Jesus, come quickly. Hillary. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to be soon. We know it. There's nobody that's going to take the place of Jesus Christ. And there's a spirit of the Antichrist that is in existence now, today, that we can see that isn't personified in a man yet. Ultimately, it's going to be, but it is, it's, it's being shown as a mentality, as a thought process. Where there's people who are going to say, uh, uh, this is our Savior. This is what's going to save us. This is what's going to help us. How timely is God's word? Like, we didn't pick this topic this morning. God picked it for us. He said, yeah, you guys are going to be in 1 John chapter 2 and talk about how don't worry about the, 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 the things that are happening right now that everybody's freaked out and mad about and upset. What's going to happen? This is it. Be thankful that we are the bride of Christ being prepared for eternity and come to terms with the fact that we don't live in a place that is made to be eternal, that was intended to be eternal. In some senses, yes, you and I, God intended for us to be eternal, but the earth has been given over to sin in such a way that I want to start over with you. Be with you and your presence. Be the light that that illuminates the world. There's no no sun or moon anymore because the glory of God is what brings the light for his people in the new heaven and the new earth. You've heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. We're talking about a third kind of Antichrist. The first one was the person. Some people also believe a governmental system that does exalt one person as the Antichrist. The second is the spirit of the Antichrist, where people are influenced and motivated to looking at something or somebody, particularly anybody who can be a savior for them, instead of looking to Jesus Christ to be their savior. And then the third one specifically is talking about in the church, People who have left the church because they reject Jesus Christ as as the Christ, as the Messiah. He said there's going to come a time or there is going to be people who leave, but don't worry because if they go out from us, then they were never a part of us in the first place. How can you taste? How can you taste the goodness of God? experience who he is, have him reveal himself to you and decide one day that he's not the the Jesus, he's not the Christ. It's not possible. So if that is the case, probably what happened is you were never saved in the first place. You were never given over to him. You were never submitted to him at first. 
This is the thing that kind of grinds our gears a little bit as the church. Because we can look at the world and, and, and shake our heads and, and laugh sometimes and say, you guys don't know, you don't get it, we want to help you, we want to tell you. But when things happen in the church, we get all you know, frustrated and bent out of shape. Well, how come that person left? How come that person did this? How come that person did that? Listen, you know, Jesus gives a, 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 an example, an illustration of a man who has a, a garden or a field, and during the night, the enemy comes and plants seeds along with the wheat. And in the morning, the servants say, hey, your enemy came during the night and planted these weeds. What should we do? You want us to go pick them all out? He says, no, let them grow together. And then when the time comes, we'll harvest and we'll separate and put in the storehouses the good grain and we'll cast the weeds into the fire. Sometimes I talk to pastors and I think that they feel like the church is supposed to be perfect, one, and that nobody's allowed to come into the church who's not a genuine believer, which I think is absolutely false. Come. But you have to come to the place where you make that decision and say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Messiah. However long that takes. The focus and and our heart being the underlying current of the book of 1 John that we've seen is love, loving people. I've heard people actually say before, you know, this, that, this person's doing this and, he, and he's doing that, and I don't even know if he's even saved. Shut your mouth. It's none of your business what you think about that person if they're going to heaven or hell or not. You know why? Because there's one righteous judge, and what your job is is to love him. To love that person, hopefully to the point where it's so powerful to them that they become a believer and are become part of the kingdom of God. Could you imagine what the disciples thought about Judas after the fact? Jesus, you let this guy hang out with us? You knew he was stealing from us and you let him stay? You knew what his heart was? Jesus knew Judas perfectly. And he never said a word. What did he do? What did Jesus do to Judas? He washed his feet. He washed his stinking feet. Literally, because that's why you wash feet, because they're stinking. But if I can identify or not whether that person's a real believer, then I'll decide whether I want to wash their feet or not, right? Yeah, they've, 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 they've been an example to me that they love the Lord, so, so I'll give them time to serve them and to love them and to bless them. Really? Because that's what the example Jesus gave us to do, right? So don't waste your time with people that you don't like or you don't think are going to heaven. Just invest in those people who you think are part of the group, are in the clique, etc. I don't think that's what God's heart is for us. In fact, I know it's not. And he's encouraging them. This is an encouragement. If they've gone out from us, then it probably meant they were never with us. Especially if you can see um, the fruit of their life is, is, is not fruit at all. It's of the flesh. There was this guy. I'll give you an example, okay? 
There was this guy who was a missionary in Eastern Europe close to the same time that Grace and I were missionaries. And he was planning a church in a certain country. And something happened. He, he got really upset about some things. Um, he started to, to buy into some really wacky, weird theology. And then he just decided, you know, I'm just going to separate myself. I don't care about you guys. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. And he left. And then he, he uh, hopped around to different uh, institutionalized religions. I think he became Catholic for a while. He became Anglican for a while. And he just like is hopping around to the point where he's like, you know what? I don't know what I believe. I don't care about Jesus or I don't care about this. You know, this guy was a missionary. He went to Bible college. He studied the Bible. Now, you know what he does? He has an internet show called Drunk Theology or something like that. And him and another guy drink to the point of getting drunk and record themselves making fun of Christians and the things that they believe. Do you know what that is? Antichrist. Antichrist. He can get his satisfaction in something else if he wishes, but he'll never get true satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. There was another guy who made some of the similar decisions and his life uh, was completely obliterated. He just, he, he lost everything, his family, his wife, because he was seeking, searching for something else that you, you can't find. There's nothing there. And it happens sometimes. And instead of saying, oh, that guy, the church let him down. Oh, that guy, the Lord let him down. Oh, that guy, he is a good representation of what's wrong with the church. Instead of saying that, say, he, he, maybe he was never even a believer, a true believer in the first place. The spirit of Antichrist, he was always looking for a savior. He was investing his time. He was investing his resources. But he was never really surrendered and submitted to Jesus as his personal savior. They would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. John's emphasizing the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have an anointing and a calling that God is going to preserve and continue into the future for us. You know the truth. And no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. There's your definition of Antichrist if you'd like to have one. You can underline it. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. That somebody else can give or bring salvation. Nobody can. No fluffy talk show host. No book about self-help that you can read. Nothing is able to bring salvation and satisfaction like Jesus Christ. Him alone and anybody who denies Jesus also denies the Father. And he who denies uh, the Father 
denies also the Son. Let's flip to 2 Thessalonians to give ourselves an even better understanding of what the Antichrist, the person, uh, position looks like. I did say that the word Antichrist is only used in 1 John and 2 John, but the idea of the Antichrist is formed very well in Scripture. In fact, the Old Testament has references to the the Antichrist. The Gospels, Jesus makes a a reference to the son of perdition, the Antichrist. The epistles, these letters also make multiple references. We're looking at this other one in 2 Thessalonians. So the idea is very well formed and very well defined. And we're going to look at uh, Paul going into some detail about who this guy is and what he's going to look like. Let's look at chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. There were these people called Gnostics and Gnosticism uh, uh, who were sending letters to the churches trying to pull believers away into uh, 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 a new kind of religion where Jesus wasn't actually the Christ. They were offering something else. And it looked like Christianity, and they wanted their numbers to grow. So what they did is they wrote letters in the names of the apostles and leaders of the early church, Paul and others, trying to get them to come. And he's saying, don't don't worry, don't be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. This is what he's referencing. As though the day of Christ had come, they were saying that the day of of the, the second coming of Jesus Christ had already happened. In fact, there's a cult right now that's very active, especially on the UNLV campus. They don't, I don't think they, they refer to themselves as the mother of God. They have a different kind of name that's more official, but it's this mother of God cult. It's a cult, make no mistake, where they're trying to get these people to, to it looks like Christianity. They, they say they read the Bible. They say they can prove to you uh, these certain things. But when it comes down to it, this is where I got frustrated because we talked about scripture back and forth. But then it came down to it when I started talking about the second coming. And this guy said to me, oh, Jesus already came. I almost smacked him in the face. I'm like, what's wrong with you, dude? Do you know what happens if Jesus already came? Do you know the Bible references the second coming of Jesus Christ more than the first? And it happened? This is what they're telling people. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, don't listen to them. Don't be troubled if they tell you that the day of the Lord has come, the day of Christ has come or had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the Antichrist. This is what's going to happen. And God gives us a glimpse into the future prophetically by his word and by his spirit that we as believers can identify this spirit of Antichrist. Therefore, we can identify this man who calls himself the Antichrist. Yes, if anybody says that they are the Savior, like as some politicians have referenced themselves being the Savior, 
That doesn't necessarily mean that they are the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist is working, and we can expect to see somebody who's going to put themselves in a position where they will become the personification of the Antichrist. It is him. But there's a falling away. Jesus references that it's going to be so difficult in those days that if it were possible, even the elect could be deceived. This is why it's important for us to be in the word of God, to be studying, to be praying, to be prepared, to identify who's the Savior. And I'm, I'm right there with you. When I hear the news and I follow what's going on right now, I get sometimes a little caught up and a little bit more excited about the future of my country than the future of the world itself. When I should be more interested in God fulfilling his promises to us as a world than us as a country or a people. That's just the way that the Bible says it, okay? It's not me, it's the word of God. But it's going to be difficult. And he says over and over again, don't be deceived. There's a falling away, there's an apostasy that's going to happen. And the, 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 the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped or that, or that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's going to come a point where he finally uh, commits the abomination of desolation. He goes into the newly built temple or tabernacle and exalts himself as God. Because you know the holy place is where the presence of God is supposed to dwell. So him making that proclamation would be him placing himself as God to be worshipped. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know that it is restraining and he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's another interesting thing. Doesn't it seem like that's the way it's gotten to be today? We've been a people who are so uh, uh, serious about laws and, and, and you know, rights and, and, and making clear definitions. When we lived overseas, this is what we would say or could say very quickly about any country that that we lived in, that we experienced. There was a definite uh, flavor, not only to us, but to everybody of corruption. Do you know, in the sense of, of political, in the political sense, do you know what corruption looks like in politics? If you could use, yeah, we do know, (laughs) Not to mention any names. But what would be one word that you could use other than corruption to identify it in politics? Lawlessness. That's what corruption is. It's lawlessness. It's the the elite of a country or a people saying, this applies to everybody else but not me. I'm not going to follow the laws. And when I get caught, I'm going to get out of it. I'm not going to be held accountable. And it's lawlessness. This is who Satan himself is. Satan is the lawless one. He says, I will not be bound by uh, what God says I have to do, by the position that God gave me, by the direction that I'm going. He's a lawless one and does what he pleases. 
just like we see in the earthly example of corruption. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to preserve corruption. When something's being corrupted, it's falling apart. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Make no mistake, this Antichrist isn't going to be just some politician. There's going to be things happening that are powerful, that, that people would see as, as signs and, and wonders. But what does the word say? They're going to be lying wonders to deceive people. And this is the indicator for us, right? If we want to say, we don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I hate being tricked. You tricked me? I always try to trick my kids so I can laugh at them. That's not nice. I think they get mad at me. But this is, this is what we gauge. We say that Jesus Christ alone is the Savior, and He's our focus. And as soon as we start swaying over to somebody, especially in the context of what we're looking at today, we're starting to be deceived. Well, this guy, maybe he is who he says he is. Look at, he's doing these miracles. He has great power. These wonders lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What is, what is this saying about God? This is simply saying that God is allowing them to continue to be deceived. Why? Because the essence of who they are is unrighteous. They have no intention of doing things rightly. They have no intention of being righteous. They are unrighteous, and God says, I'm going to allow you to continue in, in your position because you are unrighteous people. Does this mean God doesn't love them? No. God does not delight in the death of the ungodly. He wishes all would would repent and turn to him and not perish. But there's going to come a point where the deception is so real and people have already given themselves over, that they're just going to buy right in, hook, line, and sinker to what the Antichrist is selling and jump on the bandwagon. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be a bandwagon. Let's flip back over to 1 John chapter 2. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will, be, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. So what's the key? What's the instruction? What's the application? How do you not get deceived? Abide. Isn't that a great word? Abide, like Jesus said in John. Abide in the vine. 
As, I, as you abide in me, I abide in the Father, and you will produce much fruit. Abide. So as soon as we're not abiding, what happens? Like we talked about in our fruit study, we stop producing fruit. We're able to get deceived. It's possible to make bad decisions. In fact, it's more probable that you'll be making bad decisions when you're not abiding than when you are. Abide in me. And abide in what you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you. These are the promises. And then also, specifically, the promise is eternal life. Isn't that always the question? Life? What are all those, those irrational fears of the apocalypse that the world spouts for us? Global earthquake and, and tsunami and storm. Everybody dies. You better learn survival skills so you can hang in there for a little bit longer before you eat each other. That's, that's, what, the, that's what they want you to believe. Or, you know, uh, uh, global uh, uh, nuclear warfare. And if you're not underground at a certain time and you don't have the stuff stashed up, you're going to be taken out and it's going to be all over for you. That's what the world looks at and, and is scared by in the apocalypse. But the reality is the apocalypse is the unveiling of the Son, Jesus Christ. They're not going to be happy. But we're going to be happy. We're going to be happy. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There's that deceive again. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, some people take this verse out of context and try to use it in different ways. What is John specifically talking about? He's talking about the last hour. He's talking about deception. He's talking about abiding in the Lord. And he's reassuring you that if you are abiding in the Lord, you're being taught of the Holy One, the Righteous One. He is the one leading you, the Spirit of God. And you don't need another person, namely the Antichrist or the people that have bought into his system, to give you instructions because you've already been given them and you're walking and continuing to walk in them. The only person that we need to receive instruction from. And then lastly, as he closes up, I like this little, uh, this little encouragement at the end. And now, verse 28, little children abide in him that when he appears, he may, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. He reminds them one last time, okay, kids, (laughs) little children, you guys are going to be all right. Abide in him so that when he appears, you would not be ashamed at his coming. Have you ever experienced that before? You know? Sometimes, because I, I have a, kind of an, an, a more of an open schedule that I can set, sometimes I'll pop in at home, 
I'll, I'll be in the neighborhood or I'll swing by to say hi to my baby. And uh, thank you, Jesus, for my smoking hot wife. And, and I pop in, to, and the, one of the kids, they're either really happy to see me, Daddy! You know, oh, yeah. Or they're skirting around the corner into the other room. I'm like, oh, something's going on. They're ashamed at my appearing. What's happening? John is instructing them, hey, listen, you guys are to be ready. Jesus is returning. He's coming back. And in being ready, as you're ready, you will not be ashamed at his appearing. Could you imagine if you were doing something in private that you thought nobody else knew about, and then you hear the last trump, oh, man, that would be shameful. That would be shameful to be doing something that you knew that you should not be doing when Jesus Christ himself returned. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What is righteousness? Righteousness is doing the right thing when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. Righteousness is saying, I know that this is the way that the world does things. I know that this is the way even some of people who call themselves Christians do things. But it's not right, and I'm not going to do it. Because God is my Father. And I don't want to be ashamed when He comes back for me. I want to be happy, Daddy. I love that song that we were singing this morning. We welcome you with praise. Will we be the church part of the capital C church, that when Jesus appears, we begin to welcome him with praise or we run around the corner in shame. May it not be. And if you're one of those people who don't have a right relationship with God right now, today, don't wait any longer. Today is the day of salvation. And not just salvation for eternity so you get to live forever, but a right relationship with God so you can experience what abundant life is today. Because the reason you're having trouble in life as a non-believer or not following Jesus is because you can't receive uh, what the fulfillment of abundant life is apart from Jesus Christ. It's just okay or it's really bad. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about your coming. We're excited about our our true reconciliation to you and we get to be with you for all eternity. We're not in these tents that break down and mess up or say things that they shouldn't say or do things that they shouldn't do, we shouldn't do. But that we'll see you as you see us. will receive the fulfillment of what your intention was uh, from the beginning in the Garden of Eden when you created Adam and Eve. Giving, giving us choices, allowing us to make decisions, and our decisions, we pray, Lord, this week would be for you to live righteously, not that we would have righteousness in and of ourselves, but do the right things as your children. And then... When the last trump sounds, we would be able to usher you in, welcoming you with prayer in Jesus' name.